It's our new theme music for A Better World, and I'm still in awe every time I hear For Elise by Ludwig van Beethoven. Anyway, this is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, for A Better World. I'm so glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have uh, another interesting show, I sure hope. It is with a gentleman who I'm expecting to be joining us shortly, who has dedicated his life to public service. Well, I know many of you would say that's what goes on over here at A Better World, and you would be right. And this is one of the reasons that I really wanted to have this gentleman, Jordan Cooper, who is also a blog talk radio host on the A Better World airwaves with me today to speak a little bit about his way, his interpretation of what it's like, his uh, methods of being in service to the larger community. Along that line, I just would like to read a really interesting quote of Ralph Waldo Emerson, um, the great American writer and philosopher, thinker, who said, the quote, the purpose of life is not to be happy. It is to be useful, to be honorable, to be compassionate, to have it make some difference that you have lived and lived well. Wow, that's nice. So on that note, I want to introduce you all to Jordan Cooper, who, as I said, has been in public service for many, many years. He ran for a seat in the Maryland House of Delegates in the 2014 election. He has served on the, uh, his community as president of the Luxembourg Citizens Association and as the chair of the Washington Suburban Sanitary Commission Customer Advisory Board. He currently serves on the Western Montgomery County Citizens Advisory Board and the White Flint Downtown Advisory Committee. I have a feeling he's very busy with a lot of things, so we're very glad that Jordan is joining us today on A Better World. Jordan, great to have you on. Welcome to A Better World. Mitchell, such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, you know, you have this wonderful history and you remain very busy in the life of public service. What is it about it that feeds you most and what is it that you're doing that you feel you're making the biggest difference doing? Sure. So, yeah, I've been in public service most of my life. I'm 32 years old and ever since uh, the late 90s, right around the time of my bar mitzvah, I've been rather consistently engaged on a, engaged on a monthly basis in uh, public service. I, I hear you laughing. Do you... Uh, do you have any common personal experiences in that regard? Oh, many, many. I, I skipped <laughs> the bar mitzvah when I was 13. That's what I was chuckling yeah. about. <laughs> but in fact, it sounds funny, but, you know, when one becomes a man in the Jewish tradition, one of the things that one is taking on is his relationship to the community and how he can be of service. So I think that you took that really very much to heart, Jordan, and I very much appreciate that. Sure. And, and I guess I kind of have a philosophy that I've come to characterize, Mitch, as uh, selfishness through selflessness. And the way I characterize this is uh, basically as one seeks to lead a meaningful life, I've concluded that perhaps the most meaningful life that one could lead would be one that is led in service to others. So let me elaborate for a second. 
Please. So, for instance, um, when I lived in Baltimore City, uh, I would I had well, first of all, I'd grown up in Bethesda, Maryland, in the suburbs of Washington D.C. And Baltimore is only 40 miles away, but really is another world away. And uh, growing up, I had a golden retriever um, and loved playing with her, and she was a beautiful dog. Uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, I, as a young adult in my 20s, I was in Baltimore City, and I ended up – I missed a dog, but I didn't have the funds or the time or the lifestyle to own my own dog. So I'd walk over to the animal shelter, and there were a bunch of pit bulls in, in, uh, behind wire fences and individual cages in the, uh, in the animal shelter that otherwise might be euthanized. And they would often sit for weeks or months. Uh, just sitting in, in their little crates and they'd be fed twice a day and they'd go to the bathroom in there and they wouldn't get to go anywhere. So what I would do is I'd walk those pit bulls and I would enjoy it. It would be fun for me. It would be my opportunity to basically rent a dog for free for, for an hour mm. or so whenever yes. it suited me. The dogs were always ready to be walked and they loved being walked. Uh, and so for me in that instance, I couldn't afford to have a dog being selfish that I wanted to enjoy being with the dog, but also it was doing public service. On the other hand, um, there's so many stories of this, uh, being an usher in the movie, uh, sorry, being usher in the theaters and the Hippodrome and and, and the Everyman Theater, so many theaters, and you take tickets and clean up trash and man in the concession stand in exchange, you get to see live theater (laughs) that otherwise as a 23-year-old, I wouldn't have been able to afford. And uh, I volunteered a maximum security prison, uh, having gained access to a perspective that these murderers and uh, convicted felons have have they have an entirely different life experience. And so I'm curious uh, what their perspective is like. And it was a safe opportunity to gain uh, exposure to that. So, again, kind of selfishness was just interesting and exciting. And, of course, it provided a service of uh, interaction with different people for them it, it would break up the monotony of the routine. And I uh, used to mentor a boy in West Baltimore uh, for years. Um, incidentally, it's, he's from the same neighborhood where there were the West Baltimore riots a few years ago, but this was years before those riots. And I mm-hmm. um, taught him how to drive on my car because he obviously wouldn't have had a car otherwise. And I felt, uh, and then I, I took him on his first uh, boat. I took him on the USS Taney in Baltimore's Inner Harbor, the only ship left from the Pearl Harbor attack in 1941. And I used that to teach him about, I sorry, World War II, and I used that to teach him uh, about World War II uh, and, and the 19, December 7, 1941. And I took him to his first forest, and I took him to his first uh, white linen tablecloth dinner, and took him to the well, African-American. Let me, let me interject oh, here. Let me yeah. interject here a little bit. Uh, you know, because sure. you're making me chuckle again here, Jordan, because I, I almost yeah. think that you you read my personal autobiography as you're speaking because it's very it's actually uh, some extraordinary uh alignments and synchronicities here because in fact uh I also volunteered at a maximum security prison in Beacon in Fishkill, New York. Fishkill Maximum oh, that's Security Prison. Are you serious? Yeah, in, upsta- in Beacon, New York? Mm-hmm. Yep, Greenhaven oh, Maximum so Security funny. Prison. And that then there was the so Otisville funny. one as well. I worked there, worked. I, I volunteered there once a week with a group of Bard College students. We would ride down there to the prison, and I was actually teaching them creative writing and poetry, as well as Jungian psychology. People used to laugh at me. And I said, no, no, this is what I'm into, and I have a feeling they would be into it as well. And um, 
so I, I didn't morning. do the animal Same shelter, program. but it's so funny. And uh, there's one other thing you mentioned that I also had done that I, I'm, it's escaping me this the very moment. The theater ushering? But the theater ushering, yes, thank you. <laughs> and uh, it was actually a theater where I grew up in Westport, Connecticut. Uh, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward kind of took that theater over. And like you, I could not afford the tickets at all. But every Friday and Saturday night, I got to see what was going on and meet a lot of wonderful people and love the theater. In fact, I studied theater at Bard. That was one of the one of my... Uh, things I studied, but but the underlying theme here is what you called selfish selflessness, and I would like to give another phrase. I'm sorry, that what's that? Selfishness through sorry? selflessness, yes. That's right. I would offer this, and it's a perfectly fine phrase, but I like the idea of enlightened self-interest. So <laughs> for me to actually be happy despite what Ralph Waldo Emerson was saying, if I really valued being happy, then I would want you also to be happy. It's in my interest, you could say, that you be happy. In fact, that everyone be happy, that everyone have shelter, that everyone have sufficient food, education, medicine, and love in their lives, you know? So... It's an interesting way to look at things, and I think that there's a tremendous amount of truth, some kind of deep spiritual truth. I always mm. think of God as a Jewish comedian, frankly, playing a bit of a joke on us oftentimes. But, uh, but also there is a wisdom in the idea of service that I think you're very much hitting upon here, that when we're in service to others, we're also on some level in service to ourselves. Your comments? Right. And I would so I agree with that. I in a good add, way, that is, in a good way. Healthy way. A hundred percent. So we're not we're not all falling on our swords and being martyrs and, and killing ourselves just to benefit others. It it's actually perfectly fine and quite common to do public service and actually enjoy it. So I hope to convey that. Oh message. god, yeah. But I also I'd also like to add a message where with that last example I gave about helping that mentee through many different stages of life. Um, where yeah. his father was deceased and his mother was incarcerated and he didn't have many positive male role models. For me, it wasn't always pleasurable, right? But what sure. I did was I said, I've been given so many gifts by virtue of who my parents are, right? So what demographics yeah. I am, what socioeconomic status and where I was born due to no fault of my own. I don't get credit for being born with the demographic profile that I have. So I said, and it's so easy to make these things. I mean, what is it for me to spend two, three hours helping him edit, do his homework or uh, once a week or, or teach him how to drive on my own car in a parking lot, bring him to these things? They meant so much to him, and it cost Correct. me so little that if you do a cost-benefit yes. analysis rationally, it, it just it, it kind of makes sense that, look, if it adds so much value to him and it costs so little to me, even if I don't love every minute of it right it's still of kind of not. worth doing and and so that's yep. that's also a message i'd like to convey 
Yes, I know that's beautiful, and I, I, it's funny, I do a cost-benefit analysis, I never quite thought of it that way, but you know what, it's true, there is validity to that, um, the multiples are beyond measure, in fact, if you're talking about some inner city kid, and no doubt black, who, who as you said, has no father, his father died, his mother's in jail, who does he have but a nice Jewish white boy comes along and takes a sincere interest, I'm just having some fun with you if you don't mind, uh, takes a sincere interest in his well-being in a world that to him looks like nobody in the world cares about him. And you transcended that. You showed him through demonstration that people really do care, that people really do have hearts, that people are compassionate despite some of the other messaging we get in this world. So I commend you tremendously on it. I really do. I think it's, Thank you, it's, Mitch. And, it's and, and very upstanding, Jordan. Thank you. And Excuse I'll me? tell you something. Um, I met him 10 years ago in 2008 in Baltimore City. And this May, mind you, one month before my Democratic primary election, and anyone can read about it on jordancooper.us, um, yes. But basically, uh, I will be taking a break from my campaign trail to attend this boy's uh, graduation from Coppin State University. Oh, so ten my years God, later, that's fantastic! Yeah, there you you're go. you're so, a father um, figure to him, Jordan. You're a father figure. Well, I don't know, maybe that far. Kind of like a cool older brother, I would hope, or a kind maybe. of maybe, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, you know better than I do for sure. But let me ask you, and 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 really, kudos to you again. Let me ask you, uh, in terms of public service today, you're running for office. Yet again, so mm -hmm. you see a lot of your public service. Well, I, it's obviously varied, but one of the more professional aspects sounds like it's in the world of the the political arena. Is that correct? Yeah, I've spent. Uh, I've been a, a, a staffer. In fact, I first came to Baltimore City as a legislative aide for a Maryland, a member of the Maryland House of Delegates. Um, and I am now trying uh, for my second attempt to become a member of the Maryland House of Delegates. And in the interim, I've served on uh, a dozen different boards, uh, of which you have enumerated a few in the introduction to this episode. Yes. Yes, I see. So the Board of Delegates, that's a very interesting sounding thing. Uh, being from New York, we have a, uh, a state you have the assembly legislature. Member. So what is a delegate? So uh, it's the exact same thing as a New York State Assemblyman. So the New York okay. State Legislature is in Albany. You're bicameral, so you have a Senate and, a, and you have Assemblymen, the House of Representatives or Assemblymen. And in Maryland, our Maryland General Assembly is in Annapolis. We have our State Senate, and then we have our Maryland House of Delegates. So it's the lower house. For those who aren't familiar with state politics, just think of it as Maryland's Congress. And I'm, the, I'm sure, running exactly. for a seat in the Maryland House of Representatives. Exactly. That's yeah. wonderful. That's wonderful. So, uh, Democrat, of course, yes. You know, I just to say, to pick up a thread on the uh, nature of politics in our country on a national level, I don't know what goes on in the state of Maryland, a little bit of what goes on in New York. I do follow that, and I've had city council members on the show here, uh, and uh, I've had presidential candidates on uh, from the third-party world on a better mm -hmm. world as well over the years. Yet 
I'm looking at, I'm a third party type, Jordan. And one of the reasons is because the stalemate and the lockdown that happens when you have only two parties. Well, you know what? I think it actually freezes out democracy because these two parties on a national level are so polarized. They are so unwilling in the main with wonderful exceptions to speak to one another and to actually do the job of the country, the oath of office they swore to. Instead, they are doing the job of their party, which is why the founding fathers said they abhor parties and they made, did everything they could to keep parties out except for legislating about it in the Constitution, which in a sense I really wish they had because what we have today is madness and the work of government is not getting done. What with two shutdowns in the first year of this man's presidency. So your thoughts, your comments, and how do you see yourself working with this divide on the level of uh, the state of Maryland? I certainly agree with you that there is a widespread perception across the United States that increased partisan polarity has led to congressional deadlock and uh, the abdication of the responsibilities of members of Congress. That said, I'll add a few footnotes. One, due to gerrymandering and due to the predominance of a single party in most state legislatures, you'll find that uh, partisan acrimony really doesn't dominate state politics. So you really have most legislatures in America dominated by one party, and and so you don't really find the minority party in, in a position to obstruct legislative progress as much as you're able to see it on Capitol Hill. Now, there's something else I'd like to talk to you about, uh, Mitch, which is that a a sense that that these individuals are putting party ahead of country, and some may may indeed be doing that. Um, But I have known so many politicians in my life, and in fact have aspired to be one, uh, that and they've all they all seem to have generally a very uh, munificent sense of public service. So what I did is I created Public Interest Podcasts, which can be found on publicinterestpodcast.com, in order to bring people's voices to the fore. I wanted to facilitate more dialogue with difference. I wanted to bring conservative Tea Party, libertarian Republicans on my show and have liberal Democratic listeners exposed to them and vice versa. I wanted to bring uh, a, a plethora of demographic diversity on the show and have yes. my listeners be exposed to many viewpoints. I think increasingly in our media market, you can become so niche in what you seek that you're no longer forcibly exposed to uh, opinions that, with, that, that may be contrary to your own. So I seek to convey to people that, uh, that, uh, the, that many of our public servants have positive intentions, that they are trying to be noble and honorable in their pursuit of the public interest, and we only mm-hmm. disagree in what constitutes the public interest and how to get there. And if we can acknowledge and respect our relevant humanity, uh, and if we can acknowledge that we're all trying to do the right thing, then perhaps we will dehumanize each other less and have more productive dialogue going forward. Beautiful. Spoken like a real statesman, and I appreciate that. And I agree with you. I mean, authentic statesman, that is. I I really mean it. And uh, that is the perspective I wish more of our people in office had, 
It's so then ideological divide causes so much hardship. And when people just bear down and get practical and look at each other and talk to each other and break bread together, um, or matzah as the case may be, you know, all things go well. They really can. And there's the art of compromise, which everyone is involved in in one way or another. So why don't you give, if you would, your website uh, or any way people can get in contact with you. You're running for office now, so I think that's very exciting, and I wish you great luck. Let's see if we can amass some more votes in your direction. So what is your contact info? Sure. So uh, the podcast can be found at publicinterestpodcast.com, the campaign website, cooperformaryland.com, and you can contact me at uh, contact at publicinterestpodcast.com, and uh, I will receive that email. If you go to either website, you'll find phone numbers and additional contact information located there. So, Mitch, I'd like to thank you for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Keep up the good work. Really sounds great. We'll talk to you another time, Jordan. Bye-bye. Thanks, Mitch. Bye. That was Jordan Cooper running for office and such a fair-minded and rational young man. It's just a pleasure to hear that people can think and have a good head on their shoulders that guide them in the uh, warbly halls of politics and power. We need more of that. We need selfless people who are willing to step up. And the good news is that it seems that there are more and more people willing to do that. And what's interesting, one of the good things about polarization that I dare say our current president is doing so fabulously, I think he's doing that better than anything else, is that it forces people, really it presses people to start taking responsibility for the kind of outcomes they want, the kind of lives they want, and step up to the plate and say, it ain't going to happen if I just leave it off to these guys. I better get in motion. And they actually start, there are more people running for office on grassroots levels who never thought of accountants, for instance, you know, doctors, lawyers, well, lawyers have always been on it. But uh, people, you know, housewives who never thought twice about it are now really stepping up and they're doing it. And this is, I think it's great. And this is what's happening in America. I'm curious about what's happening in other parts of the world. And we very thankfully have a bunch of wonderful people from all over, from Australia and New Zealand and Spain and um, different parts of Europe and Latin America who are listening to the show. And I'm wondering if the same phenomenon is happening where you live, France, UK. And this is something that needs to be kind of a a worldwide swelling of the people who are standing up, not any longer simply professional careerists who have their self-interest in mind. And we do have to get money out of politics, hence Citizens v. United and the importance of getting this out because it just becomes yet another arena for the very, very wealthy, 
the so-called 1%, to control the outcomes of everyone else. It's just the whole thing is so undemocratic. It's so inhumane is really what it is. And uh, it's all based, as many of you who listen to this show frequently know, I talk about fear-based is amygdala-based. It's it's uh, reptilian brain-based. It's not our higher nature. It's not our higher possibility. And I personally believe that if we're going to get anywhere as a species, let alone as a humanity, uh, it's going to be because we are engaging our higher level. Just as our guest today, Jordan Cooper, was speaking of the joy of service, of being available to another person or in some cases to animals. How beautiful. And it's not going to be pleasurable all the time. Nothing is pleasurable all the time. There's no always about anything except, as they say, death and taxes. (laughs) Uh, But if we can bring ourselves, regardless, as Emerson said, of happiness, we do it because we feel it. Um, From the Buddhist perspective, we could say it's our dharma. It's our calling. It's our to go back to the Latin vocation, we get the word uh, we get the word vocation from vocara, or sometimes vocata, which is more Italian sounding, which means our calling to be called. And when we listen to that calling, a deeper, higher call, we're going to be aligned with the things and the energies of our universe that make a difference and support us in making that difference in giving. You know, what is that great old story of uh, people, hell, have uh, a lot of food at the bottom of this big pot, but their spoons are too long to be able to serve each other. But the people in heaven, they have the same pot, but the spoons are smaller so they can feed each other. Maybe that really is the definition of heaven, to be able to be of service to one another in a loving and elegant way. And sometimes it's pleasurable, and sometimes it's not just like, uh, what do we call it? Life? Oh yeah, that thing, that's right. You know, I say so often, I feel that we've been raised across the world at this point, not just Americans, on Hollywood, on the movies, the 1930s and 1940s, uh, where especially in the 40s, Hollywood was playing a very important role to bring a little lightness, a little joy, a little romance, a little levity to what was a world war. What could be more depressing than a world war, so it was called, and it engaged many countries across the world, pathetic as that may be. And Hollywood really buoyed up the spirits of people that were otherwise really worried about their sons and their daughters and their brothers and their sisters who were off in distant lands fighting and in the lineup for possibly being killed. That is not a happy moment for anybody. So Hollywood played a really important role in bringing some lightness and humor and and pleasure 
to the viewing audience. A big room, all darkened except for one wall, which is lit up by imagery. Oh, my. It's a movie theater. It's the cinema. And that is fantastic. However, uh, there's a downside. It became big business, as we all know, big business. And they began to uh, manipulate the viewer in such a way and to almost, um, how do I say, program the viewer. And this is what happened. Unfortunately, we all began thinking that that was real life. On some level of our consciousness, we began thinking that was real life. And it's nowhere near real life. Nowhere near. And, uh, you know, Ozzy and Harriet, leave it to Beaver, you know, father knows best. Oh, God. I know, I'm talking about TV now, but it's part of the same ethos. It's the same zeitgeist. And we need to be very vigilant about this kind of invasion of our consciousness that gives us mythic ideas about what life is really. And we all really kind of know what life is. So, you know, uh, those you listeners are of all ages, mainly in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. And you know that life is sometimes gorgeous. And oftentimes it's muddled and murky and extremely difficult and chaotic and depressing. This is just the real world. And we want to take all that in and be observers to it so we're not locked into it or weighed down by it to any extent that we can be free of it. But we would be Pollyanna-ish if we made believe that these uh, lives of ours were not populated with these kinds of things. And, of course, we turn to those places in life. Um, sometimes they are a Better World podcast where we can uh, kind of revel in truthful words and in, in also uh, exalted words in language that can lift us up while not making believe life isn't what it is. And I do believe that suffering has a role, and one of the greatest roles of suffering is to become free of it. <laughs> I know that may sound funny and maybe very Buddhistic, um, and it is, but certainly not only. There are many ancient teachings that support the same idea. So I would just invite you all to think on these things, as Krishnamurti said. Think on these things. So we can collectively make a difference. I am one of those who likes to bring the spiritual themes into material reality. I'm not one of those who just likes to float off into the uh, ethers, but rather I believe that the spiritual awareness, which is just a way of saying the more highly refined intelligence that we all embody is in service to the denser intelligence and the denser material world in which we all inhabit. It's like the higher is in service to the lower, if you will, sort of the way Jordan was talking about his being born in the demographic that he was and able to be of service to this inner city young man who he was the mentor for for many, many years, and now the guy is going to college. Um, 
So you could say it's the higher in some way, uh, rather loosely defined, serving the lower. And in this case, you could say economically or socioeconomically, not in some kind of grandiose way of, I'm a higher being because of my bank account. No, 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 I'm not saying that. But we can point to certain aspects of our lives and come up with a gradation for purposes of conversation, which is what I was just doing. So uh, keep it in context, my dear friends. Please do. So this has been our service here to you all today in bringing Jordan Cooper on for you to meet and hear of yet another human being doing wonderful work in the world, really being of service, and having that mindset, having that mindset. And I dare say that if we all woke up with that idea of how can I be of service to the world today, what can I do today to make a positive difference in people's lives? We, overnight, we would have a different world. Overnight. And we wouldn't let ideology block our thinking, whether that's political ideology or religious ideology. It would be an authentic, in-the-moment experience of another person's pain or sadness or suffering, or heartbreak, or hunger, or, or physical distress, and being able to be in some way, on some level, or several, in service to alleviate that pain, suffering, and stress. What a beautiful world we would have. On that note, I want to just thank you all for listening again, and uh, joining us here at A Better World. Remember, we are a 501c3. That means that we are a nonprofit organization, and our thriving and sustaining is related to your giving. See? Can't get away from it. Can't get away. And uh, remember that we have various services, my consulting, counseling, and coaching services uh, for individuals, couples, and families, as well as businesses, and organizations. I have worked with CEOs and I work with people who are trying to keep a very healthy relationship. So it all comes to relationships, the way we think and the way we hold ourselves and the way we communicate. This is the bottom line, no matter what hat we are wearing at what time of day. And that is what I do with people. I am essentially a consultant and communications coach, as well as strategizing to help good companies make a difference in the world, social enterprise companies. That's what I do. Additionally, if you are interested in energetic balancing, you can contact us as well, whether that's manually, which I do in individual sessions with people or couples, again, uh, using the life system, a very sophisticated biofeedback system, or on our Harmonic Energetic Balancing Program, a.k.a. the HEB program, which through a photograph, oh yes, that's right, we are in the Star Trek times with a photograph, we can influence your health, happiness, and well-being, as well as through language, as you would expect from me. 
So you can learn more about that at our website, abetterworld.tv, as well as mitchellrabin.com. Thanks again for joining, and I look forward to seeing you all next week. Actually, on Wednesday, I will be airing another show with Jackson Madnick about super healthy lawns that sequester carbon six times as much as your ordinary lawn and uses a quarter of the water. So if you want to make a difference in your own backyard to the overall environmental health and well-being of our planet, make sure to tune in and pass it on to your friends. Very good. I look forward to seeing you all.